Well, good morning. God is faithful, amen? Man, so good to hear you guys sing as well. I've said it before and I'll probably say it again. I, I just love to hear God's people singing. I mean, he's worthy of it, right? He's so worthy. The fact that we can, we can sit here this morning forgiven in Christ in spite of our unfaithfulness, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, well, I'm here for some announcements first. And so if you are sitting on the outside of your rows, uh, make sure you grab those registers. We'd love for everybody to take the time to fill that out. Let us know that you're here. Uh, there's a place at the bottom that you can share any prayer requests or praises. Uh, just so you know, those don't go out to everybody. We, those are just for the elders, uh, the pastors, and the wives. Uh, and so those are safe with us. But we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to know how we can encourage you. We'd love to know how, what the, we can praise the Lord for as well. So be sure to uh, fill that out for us. We would be grateful for it. Uh, if you came prepared to give, you can give one of two ways. Uh, if you came to give physically in the lobby to the right, you'll see a box on the, on the wall that says offering. You can place it in there. You can also go online at mygospelcc.org and give that way. A handful of announcements for you. First of all, just a reminder, right after the service, we're having our annual members meeting just to update you on on the last year, look at the budget real quick. Uh, be about 45 minutes, give or take. And then after that, we're going to have pizza and ice cream. And if you came here and you're visiting and you're like, hey, I don't have lunch plans, uh, you're, free to, you're free to stay. This isn't just for members, but it's, we specifically want our members to be here. So anybody can stay after. Uh, we'll be finishing up the meeting around 12, 15, and then we'll eat. And so we'd love for you to stay for that. Uh, youth group tonight uh, is meeting again at 5, 5 to 6.30 p.m. And so 6th grade to 12th grade, we'd love to have you back for that. Uh, Tuesday morning at 9.30 at Maple City Chapel parking lots. That's kind of South Goshen. Uh, we're going to be praying for the Retta, the mobile unit there. And we'd love to get as many people there as possible just to pray over the workers. It's a major work that they're doing, right? Praise the Lord for the ministry that they have. <clears throat> And so we'd love for you to join us if you're able to. And then also with Retta, we are going to be collecting clothes over the next few weeks. So they, they come alongside um, expecting mothers, already mothers, and, and helping them to know how to raise their kids. And so they're looking for fall and winter clothing sizes newborn through 6X. And so if you would be willing to donate, they're asking for new, preferably with the tags on it. Uh, items, um, not used, but new items. If you, if you want to bring those to church over the next few weeks, we'll have a bin out in the lobby, and we'd love to bless them uh, with, with those gifts. And that really goes a long way. And so uh, praise the Lord for what Red is doing. We'd love for you to um, participate in that. At this point, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Last week, uh, we saw Paul given the opportunity to share his story, to proclaim the gospel to thousands of people. Uh, he, he was kind of rescued from a place of almost being beaten to death and was given the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And, and so we kind of talked through the art of evangelism, per se, not that, not that it's we have to craft it per perfectly, but there's some things that, that are good that we know. Like, first of all, we talked about you don't need to force the conversation. Like, don't force evangelism onto some people. And we'll talk a lot about that today, but here's the reality. 
can we make people repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ? No. Only the God, only the God of heaven can do that. We plant and we water, but only God brings the growth. Uh, we also talked about finding common ground. Like Paul didn't come to uh, these Jewish people and say, man, I got it all together. Like I am perfect. I am good. And you guys should follow after me because of how amazing I am. That, that's not at all uh, how Paul responded. Paul understood his brokenness. He understood that apart from God's grace, he would not have come to salvation. And so he approached the people that way. And sometimes, sometimes if we're not careful, we can act like you got to have it all together to come to church. But the reality is, is we don't have it all together, which is why I come to church. <laughs> because we need the Savior. Uh, we also talked about the fact that evangelism means we share our story. Like, how has God rescued you? Uh, remembering the key components of salvation, the, the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that our sin is first and foremost mainly against God, and he has rescued us from that. That's part of our story. And then ultimately, we talked about the fact that we can, we can speak all day long, right? We can come to church, we can talk about the Great Commission, and hey, we need to go preach the gospel, and this is what we're supposed to do. But if we don't actually pick up our feet and move, we're not doing anything. We are called to take part in the mission. And when it comes to evangelism, here's what we want to talk about this morning. There, there, there's an important thing that we must be wise in evangelism. We are called to be wise, to use wisdom. And in our text today, uh, things are going to amp up once again for Paul. Uh, nothing new for, from him. We've seen this all along where uh, he's just in and out of trouble. And it's going to amp up again. And, and Paul is just so smart in the way he handles it. He uses such wisdom in dealing with those that he is speaking to. And so we're going we're gonna to speak of four things to be aware of when it comes to evangelism. But before we get in the word, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the reminders this morning that we sang the fact that the Lord of hosts is with us, with us in the fire. Lord, you're not unaware of what your children are going through. Father, you are not some distant God who doesn't care and is a cold God. Lord, you are, you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love towards those who love you. God, what an amazing thing. Thank you for your faithfulness this morning. And God, we ask that you would continue your faithfulness by opening our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word. Father, we, we recognize that unless you open our eyes, Father, the blinders remain. And so God, would you take the blinders away? Perhaps there are some in here who do not know you as Savior. Lord, may it be your will that they would have their blinders taken off, that they would look upon the glory of Jesus Christ and repent of their sin and place their faith in you. God, for all of us, let us leave having drawn near to you this morning, Father. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's jump into the text this morning. Acts 22, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. So up to this word, they listened to him. 
So this is the tribune, the Roman tribune, and, and, and the, the, the leaders of them. They, they, up to this point, they listened to him. Uh, and and the, some of the Jews were listening to him. But at this point, they, they stopped. Then they raised their voices, it said, and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. So the Romans at this point, they're, they're, they're confused. They don't know why the Jews are, are creating such a such chaotic mess when it comes to Paul. Like, why is he creating such storm? They don't understand. It, it, it's... It's something that they're trying to figure out. What, Paul, what did you do? What could you have possibly done to make these people so angry? And, and really, the reason why they got riled up here, we, we know based on what he said in verse 21. Look at that. And this is Paul recounting his story when Jesus came to him on the road to Damascus and what he has told him would happen. So Jesus said this to Paul, and he's recounting the story to the people here. Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So here's the things that we need to be aware of, Jews and Gentiles. It's like oil and water. They just did not go together. The Jews despised the Gentiles. They looked at them as the, the filthiest people in the earth, unworthy of anything. And so the fact that Jesus who you're saying is the son of God, would call him to take the good news to people such as the Gentiles? No, 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 no. We're not standing for this. So that's why they are fired up here at this moment. It was about Jesus telling Paul to go minister to the Gentiles. And this led to the tribune once again moving things away from the chaos. And the sad part is, is many of these Jews then rejected Jesus, which leads us to our first point. It's this. Be aware that many will reject Christ. When it comes to evangelism, be aware that many will reject Christ. So Paul attempted to lay out the gospel and share how Christ radically changed his life. So in case you don't know who Paul is, uh, he was known as Saul earlier in the book of Acts. And he was one of the Pharisees. He was one of the religious leaders who was persecuting Christians. He was literally there affirming the stoning of Stephen, if you've heard of Stephen, a, a follower of Jesus. So he was on the other side. He was persecuting Christians, and God radically transformed his life. I mean, just, just a story that if we would hear it today, we as Christians would be amazed. Perhaps you've heard of stories of, of some, some believers who just... God just radically transformed their lives. Like there's no reason that that, that person had no business coming to Christ. But Jesus did something amazing and rescued them. Perhaps you're that story. I mean, really, all of us are that, right? Anyone who has come to Christ has a radical story. But perhaps you are one that, that was hated Jesus, hated anything that had to do with the church, and God radically changed you. I mean, as Christians, it's something that we celebrate and we stand amazed at God's grace. But here, we see ultimately they reject Jesus. And this is so hard, isn't it? You ever have conversations with, with unbelievers and their lives are just falling apart? Running after 
drugs and alcohol and sex and things are not going well for them and they come to you desperate. Maybe they're even saying, like, it just feels like something missing. And you're like, yes, it's Jesus. And you try to tell them and it's like a, just a just stone faced. Like they just, we can even have times where we, we, I mean, we beautifully share the gospel. Like we couldn't have done it better. Like we laid everything out right. We were emotional at the right times. Not that we're trying to be emotional to affect, but we were just so affected even by our own salvation. And yet there are people, there, there are times who will just still reject Jesus. But I think when it comes to evangelism, this is important for us to understand. Because there are a couple ways that we could fall off the saddle. Think about it this way. God opens a door for you to have a gospel conversation with an unbeliever. And you find yourself nervous and stumbling over your words. And you feel like you're just not clear. And then that person ends up rejecting Christ. If we are not aware that, that the blinders are on unbelievers until God opens their eyes, then we could find ourselves condemning us as if we could save somebody. So we, we need, the reason why this is so important for us to be aware of is that there are times where we're just going to stumble over our words and people are going to reject Jesus, but it isn't because they're rejecting us, it's because they're rejecting Christ. And God has to open their eyes. The, the other side, as I explain the scenario where you're talking to a friend whose life is falling apart, and you realize... Are you kidding me? Like, Jesus is the only thing left for you. And, and we tell them the story of God's grace, and they reject Christ. We can find, and, and then, like, their life gets worse, and then they come back to you asking for help, and you're like, I already told you your answer. And we can find ourselves getting angry because I've told you. You're the one making the choices now, throwing your life away. Go mess with somebody else. Like, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in that place thinking this person is ridiculous. Why aren't they coming to Jesus? And we forget the fact that the only reason we came to Jesus is because he opened our eyes. Don't be like the car salesman that I had once. How many of you just hate? I like, I like new cars, but I hate the process. <laughs> you know, you buy the car, and, I, and usually like the car salesmen themselves have been great, but it comes to the point where you're signing the paperwork and they're like, oh, we have this warranty for you. And, and maybe warranties work well for you, like, but like, I'm just like, I look at the price of what it costs, and I look at my track record, and I'm like, you know what? Like, I have never spent this much money uh, for a car repairs in, in this period of time, like for me. And so I was like, you know what? No thanks. Um, and the guy just kept pressing. It's like, no, you really, you don't understand. Like, look, look at what this can do, and if this happens, then you're completely covered. And I'm like, thank you, but no thank you. And it got to the point where he was annoyed with me. Like, are you serious? Like, it, he didn't say this, but this is what it felt like. Are you serious right now? Like, I'm offering you this amazing deal for a warranty for your car that you won't have to mess with financial things if certain things go wrong? And just kind of shamed me. And it just made me feel, like, very awkward. And I'm like, I just want to sign the paperwork, and I want to get out of here. Don't be that kind of Christian. Like, unless the Lord draws them, they, they will reject Christ. And so we must be aware when it comes to evangelism, we plant, we water, God brings the growth. Be aware that many will reject Christ, even as these Jews, who many of them probably walked with Paul, still rejected him, even after seeing him change. God is the one who brings heart change. Look at verse 25. 
But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Here's uh, point number two. When it comes to being wise in evangelism, be aware of your freedoms. Be aware of your freedoms. So again, there's still questions. They still don't know why, they're so, why the Jews are so angry wanting Paul dead. The Romans are just completely like, stunned. They don't, they don't understand. And they're about ready to flog him in order to find the answer. So here's what a flogging was. They would take this wooden baton that had leather straps attached to it, and embedded in these leather straps were like metal pieces and glass. And what they would do is they would just smack it across someone's back and then rip it out. Like this is what he's about to face in order for Paul to reveal why they're doing this to him. But here's the thing. They don't understand that Paul is a Roman citizen, and it says here uncondemned. What he's saying is like, look, like I, I am, I'm a Roman citizen, and I haven't even had a trial. There's been no trial. How can you possibly do this to me? Like, this is not right. And then, like, the, the centurion is like, oh, wait, <laughs> this, is, this is bad news, and I don't want any part of this. Goes to the tribune. The tribune comes and confirms what was said. Notice there that the tribune said, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. So he's thinking, like, how could you even afford to be a citizen seeing, like, you don't have much. Like, who are you? And he's like, buddy, I was born a citizen. And everybody backs off, afraid, because they realize the consequences that would come their way if they were to discipline Paul without a trial, being that he had Roman citizenship. Paul. Paul was a wise man. He knew his rights. He knew what he was free to have happen. He knew that he deserved a trial. He understood his freedoms. You know, I think about our country, and I think most, if not all of us, would agree that we have a flawed country, right? Like, not perfect. Uh, I would argue, I don't really think it's a Christian country. But nevertheless, don't we live in a great place? Like, you, you compare what we get to do, what we have the freedom to go about doing, compared to other countries, do we not have great freedoms here? And we as Christians need to be wise and understanding and use the voice that God has given us. This, this doesn't specifically mean that every time we're just sharing the gospel literally, certainly that's what we're going for, but there are things that grieve the heart of God that we have the opportunity to speak up for. That's what Retta is doing. We have the freedom that our country has given us the opportunity at times to be a part of you know, things like, you know, March for Life, protests. We can do those things in a peaceful way. God's given us the freedom in this country to do that. I, I've heard stories from you guys. I mean, 
the things that some public schools and libraries are allowing into the system are despicable, right? And I have heard stories of you going to the school board and saying, I do not want my child being told these things. God has given us these freedoms to be able to speak up for the things of the Lord. It may not be a blatant Christian witness as far as saying Jesus saves us and he is our hope, but we can certainly speak for the things that grieve Jesus' heart. Amen? Like We have that opportunity. What an awesome privilege to live in this time. Now, I don't know what 10 years from now has for us, but today, despite what you think about our country, we have great freedoms to use our voice for the glory of God. Here's my only thing. Be wise. Remember, Christian, as you speak up and live out your freedom, do so in a way that honors Christ. The word says, let your speech be gracious, always seasoned with salt. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ, but do it with gentleness. Let Christ be seen in your actions. And listen, when you disagree in a Christ-honoring way, that is different than the way the world disagrees. And it doesn't mean we have to have a little quiet mouth voice. <laughs> like there are times where there's an urgency, right? You ever come to something, this is not right. But it doesn't mean we have to be hateful. God has given us freedom. Be aware of those freedoms. Look at verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Notice these are religious leaders that he's talking to, those who would claim God who are far from him. Verse 4, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Here's the next point. Be aware of having religion without a relationship. Be aware of having religion without a relationship. So, in order to get to the bottom of the Jews' hatred for Paul, they bring the Jews in with Paul together. So this is just one big gathering. And to square off with Paul, to get to the bottom of what is going on. And notice how things went sideways quickly. Paul made a defense at how he had honored God. He, he had lived, it says, my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And right at this point, the, the high priest, Ananias, has Paul slapped in the mouth. Is, is, there, is there anything more disrespectful than getting slapped in the mouth? You ever have, like, your mama do that? Like, just <laughs> the shame that comes, like, oh, man, you got hit in the mouth. That's like, you've crossed the line. Like, what a disrespectful thing that is happening here to Paul. But, like, look at it. Like, you can understand. I mean, he is saying that, look, the way I'm living my life, I am doing it under good conscience before the Lord. And so, in light of that, his life looks drastically different than the Jewish leaders. 
And so the high priest is like, wait, no, we have it down. You don't have it down. Therefore, I'm striking you. Like you could almost understand except for the fact that, uh, like, do you think God is in the business of, like, slapping people? Like, do you think he's pleased, like, if we just kept, just slapped one another when we got out of line? Like, this, this is not attitude here by the religious leaders that shows a love for God. Do you, is there any concern for Paul here? Is the, is the religious leader, is the high priest here concerned for the soul of Paul? He's like, Paul, you're off track. Man, come on, come join the right side. Is this, is this the appeal that you see happening? No. Their response is, let's slap them. Here's the thing. If we're not careful, we can be like these Jewish religious people who say the right things who do all the right things and yet have no relationship with our Father in heaven, have no relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, it's not that religious things are bad. Like, I think sometimes the word religion gets a bad rap. Like, many of us, if not all of us, do religious things. Is coming to church every Sunday a religious activity? Yeah. Is praying every day a religious activity? Certainly. How about reading your Bible every day? Is that a religious activity? Taking communion? Like these are religious activities. Uh, even the Bible says true religion is taking care of orphans and widows. All of those things in and of themselves, are they bad? No, they're actually quite good. Here's, the, here's what separates religion from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A religion looks at the good works that we do and declares I am made right with God because I've earned favor with him because of my performance. That's religion. Or religion is also, I mean, there's, all, there's like not even God's, God's hardly in the picture. Because all it is is looking at, like it's feeling good about yourself. Like look at all these good things I've done. Man, I read my Bible every day. I don't act like this. You remember the prayer of the Pharisee like in, in, in the, the Gospels where, where he prays, thank God I'm not like that guy over there. <laughs> Like, that's, that's what religion is. Religion is when we look at our attitudes, our action, or, or look at our actions and what we do and decide whether or not God loves us because of what we do. Having a relationship with God understands that religion can't save me. That I don't read my Bible, I don't go to church, I don't pray, I don't evangelize in order for God to love me more. I do those things out of God's love for me. That God loves me so much, I want everybody else to see how good he is. Oh, man, I forget his promises, and so I need to be in his word every day because every day I forget. And so if I keep being in the word, I'm going to remember the goodness of God and remember that I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That's what a relationship with Christ is. It's a life lived out of joy for what the Lord has done for you. And any activities you do are an overflow of how God has rescued you, not done in such a way to try to earn God's favor. And we have to be careful because we can do this in even small ways. I think believers can be religious without, without those moments looking at our relationship. So, you know, we, we, we believe that once God has truly rescued us, we are always saved. But there are times where we can act foolish. And we can look at one aspect of my life and think, man, you know what? I'm a disciplined person, and that person's pretty sloppy. 
Meanwhile, we can be screaming at our wives or kids and, and just kind of excuse that because at least I'm not overweight or, or whatnot, right? Like we just have all these things that uh, I, do, I do it in different ways where I'm like feeling good about a certain area that I'm good at, looking at another person who's not so good at those things. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves lifting ourselves up. We have to guard against those things. Notice that Paul called Ananias a whitewashed wall. This really is a good description of a religious person who has no relationship with Christ. A whitewashed wall is something that looks great on the outside. But man, you start peeling back the layers and it's just ugly on the inside. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. Does it really, <laughs> does it really make the pig look any different? Like It doesn't do any good. If we're not careful, we can look to find hope in religion and what we do versus hope in a man who did what we couldn't and, did, and died the death that we deserved. Certainly, salvation leads us to good works, right? We read in Ephesians, I believe. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for us in advance that we might walk in them. So salvation leads to good works, but salvation doesn't, or sal salvation leads to good works, but good works don't lead to salvation. We need to get that order right. Be aware of having religion without a relationship. Here's the last thing to be aware of. Be aware of the culture around you. Be aware of the culture around you. Look at verse 6 in chapter 23. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? <laughs> and when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So once again, we see how smart and wise Paul is here. I mean, he grew up in this environment. This is not something new to him. He knew what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were like. He knew the group of people that he was speaking with. Now, here's the thing. If, you, if you've read through the Gospels, you, you've met these Pharisees and Sadducees before. Uh, as it says here, the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, and they did not believe in, like, spiritual afterlife, like angels, things like that. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, believed in resurrection, and they believed in 
in angels and in, in those sorts of things. And so this created quite the stir. Paul found a way to turn the attention away from himself. There was no way he was getting out of this situation unless he got smart. And so he declared finally why he was on trial. Look again at verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Pharisees and Sadducees, he cried out to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. This is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Now question, did he lie? Did Paul lie? No, but did he tell the full gamut of the truth here? He left one name out. He left the resurrection of Jesus is why he was on trial. But he, he knows his crowd. He knows the culture of things around him. And so notice how quickly they turn on one another. Immediately, the, the group became divided and everyone picked their side. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees are on Paul's bandwagon. It's so crazy how quickly things turn about. Oh, you like this. We're buddies now. Forget, <laughs> just forget that punch in the face earlier in the temple. Just, yeah, let's just forget about that, right? Look at what it says here, verse 9. We find nothing wrong in this man. And then the Pharisees throw a jab at the Sadducees, because remember, they don't believe in angels or spirits. But it says this, what if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? So they're like, man, Paul knows what he's talking about. You guys are the problem here. And all of a sudden, the tension has turned away from Paul and onto one another. And they are going at it. But Paul was aware of the culture around him. He knew he knew what the Pharisees valued. He, he understood and he, he won kind of a, a way into their lives to be able to speak into them. And I think in the same way, we can be wise in learning the culture of those around us. It can help us to serve in our desire to reach others with the gospel. I mean, asking ourselves, what does our culture value the most? I, and even going beyond, like, big culture of Elkhart County, Goshen, it, I mean, everybody's, every family's got their own culture, right? Like, when you get married, it's, you know, Nikki and I have had to deal with this. Like, in her mind, only the dad took the trash out, because their dad, thanks for ruining it, father-in-law, for, uh, for that. Like, only the man took the trash out. And certain ways that I grew, that only the, you know, only the woman did certain things. And all these cultural things that help us understand one another, right? Like, as marriage, you have to get to know that to be able to work things out. Like, when you look at culture, one of the things that helps you understand is what is culture obsessed with? And usually, what they're obsessed with, there's some kind of spiritual truth that we can tie to that. Take, for instance, like, sex. Is our world not, like, out of control sexually? Just immorality is running rampant, but I, lo I actually love what, um, shouldn't have gone there because I can't remember his name now. Who wrote uh, Screw Tape Letters? C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis spoke of the fact that it's not that our passions are too strong, it's we're, they're too weak because we get satisfied with lesser things. That was the gist of it. Like we, we'd rather play in the mud pies in the slums and enjoy the holiday at the sea. That's like the picture. Like, it's not, it's actually not that they're out of control sexually. I mean, that is true. But the truth is, they're, they're just underselling it. And they're trying to sleep around with as many people as possible. They're, they're just experimenting in different ways. But here's, here's the truth. 
You know, I'm not saying my, my sexual past is not completely clean. But what I can say is that the relationship, first of all, sex is a gift from God between a married man and woman. Amen? That's all you got? <laughs> sex is a gift for the married man and woman. Amen? <laughs> Plug your kids' ears. It's okay. No, it's actually, no, it's good. It is good. God created it good to be lived in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And I can tell you there is nothing more satisfying than when I get that right. The world has nothing to offer. So what the world is obsessed with is a picture for us to be able to say, look, you, you get this, but let me just say, this is what God's word says about this, and this will bring you far more joy than what you're doing. Think about this. Do you see a culture that desires to find their identity in another person? Let me ask you this. Is that a God-given thing? Absolutely it is. But here's the thing. I can't look to find my identity in my wife. And, and I know maybe this is more of a struggle for women, but, but men as well. We also can't look to find our identity in our kids. And we certainly can't look to find our identity in another person, in marriage, girlfriend, or whatnot, because it just doesn't satisfy. We were created to find our identity in Christ. He is the one that paid the price for you. He is the one that will never leave you or forsake you. He is the one that has never sinned against you and never will. You see, like the, but when we understand that and we see people pursuing, like, look, you're looking to find your identity in this, but let me just tell you, your identity can only be found in someone who is perfect and holy and righteous, and his name is Jesus. That's what I'm getting at when we be, are aware of the culture around us and we see the things that we're obsessed with. People trying to escape from the troubles of the world. Did God create us to try to escape the troubles of the world? Yes, and his name is Jesus. He is the one that doesn't take the troubles away, but we can escape from the consequences of, we can escape from our, our mental well-being of finding joy in Christ even when our circumstances are out of control. And so look, you are trying to find it in the bottle. I can tell you, it's, God is calling you to find your joy in something, but not that. Let me tell you about Jesus. You know, this, it, this the idea of like understanding what a person is going after and knowing how to speak to them reminds me of Nathan and David. Do you remember that confrontation? Let, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you're unfamiliar with stories, you didn't grow up in ch children's church and hear these things, uh, David was a king of Israel, God's chosen king. And, and he was, when he was supposed to be at battle, he was hanging out at home, and he noticed this nice, fine-looking woman bathing on, the, on, the, on the, the, what do you call that, on the roof across the way. And it was Uriah, one of the military leader's wives. And he's like, sends his servant over, like, bring her over. Sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. And he's like, oh, no, what am I going to do now? And so he calls the, the army and says, hey, leave Uriah in the front lines, and then everybody back off so, he, so he's killed. So he murders Uriah. His, I mean, he had brought Uriah home to sleep with his wife, and Uriah was such a noble man that he's like, I can't do this. I can't have, enjoy the pleasure of my wife when I'm supposed to be on the battlefield. And he sleeps on the doorpost. He doesn't even go in. And so David has committed this sin. Uriah's dead. He marries Bathsheba, and he's, un he's been unrepentant up to this point. 
And so it's time for him to face his consequences. And so Nathan, a prophet from the Lord, was sent to David. And he says this in verse 1. He says this to David. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Kind of weird, right? (laughs) Anybody have a sheep that they just treat like a dog in their house? (laughs) So you can see this, though. You got this rich man who, like, what's one lamb compared to another? And then his family who's got one lamb that they just love. Verse 4, now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So do you guys remember what David was as a kid? What did he do? He was a shepherd. So do you think he had a little fondness to to sheep? And David was generally a good man. And he, he, I mean, you can feel your blood boiling, right? Like when I read this, I'm like, what? This rich man could throw a lamb without even feeling it. And he takes the poor family who, who raised this and loves it like a daughter and kills that? Are you kidding me? And we see verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he, had this, he did this thing and because he had no pity. <laughs> Nathan's got him right where he wants him. And he says to him in verse 7, I love this. You are the man. And immediately David is crushed. What, what did Nathan understand? He understood the culture of where David lived. He understand that David was a shepherd. Now, now, David was a man of God even at this time, but I still think we can take that principle as like understanding where the people around us are coming from, knowing what they value, knowing what they find hope in, knowing what they find joy in, knowing what they try to escape to, and even asking questions like, how's that working for you? Like, people live long enough, and th- those, those things are empty vessels. Why do you think their divorce rate is over 50%, even in the church? It's because we think it's better down the road. It's because we tried to find our identity in a person who's not fulfilling us. Only Jesus can fill that. Remember, though, the even in well-crafted arguments that some will still reject Christ. Because we plant and we water, but only God can remove the blinders. It's so critical for us to trust in the sovereignty of God. And when people reject, we don't just wash our hands clean, but we plead for the Lord to open their eyes. Remember, believer, be aware of your freedoms that God has given you. He's He's given you a voice to speak up. Ask for wisdom and how to use that. We can speak up for things like that. Be aware of having religion without a relationship. Don't be like the Pharisees who loved maybe things of God but didn't love God himself. And then be aware of the culture around you. How can you speak into the lives of those who you interact with on a regular basis. Let me share some action steps with you you can take home this week. 
encourage you to spend some time memorizing 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Let me read those for you real quick here. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, right? Ambassador is somebody who stands for Jesus, who appeals for them. It says, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't you see the gospel right there? Uh, I put read scripture app up there. Just encourage you, if you've been reading through the Bible, maybe you've, you've slacked a little bit, just encourage you to get back on the saddle. Uh, it's so good that we bathe in the word of God, that that's where we find our true lasting hope. And then I encourage you this week, number three there, to consider religion versus relationship. What does that look like? And are there any signs of religion in your life that, that you are boasting in your own pride because of something that you're good at and treating others differently because of something you think you're better at than them? Remember, it's only by God's grace that he's saved us. And then lastly there, pray for gospel opportunity. That's what we're here for. We're here to glorify God by making disciples Let's be praying for God to open up doors and then pray for the wisdom to speak into those things at those times. Well, let me invite you to stand now as I close us in prayer. Father, thank you for your word that gives us wisdom. And God, I just pray for our church. I pray for those here, those who claim the name of Christ. Would you open up doors this week for gospel opportunities. God, in those moments that we would trust you to give us the words, Lord, that we would not spend too much time of thinking that we have to have the words perfectly. Lord, just keep us faithful to the message. And God, I pray that we could even hear of stories of people who repented of their sins and placed their faith in you because of the faithful proclamation of the gospel by your people here. God, keep us from allowing fear to get in the way. Keep us sensitive to your spirit, Lord, when to talk and when maybe we should call it a day. Lord, we just, we just need your help. And I thank you that your sp the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. And so, God, we can trust you with wisdom, and we thank you for that. God, be with us uh, this afternoon as we just kind of Look back a little bit and look forward, God, that you would just use our church to, to bring glory to your name and make disciples, God. We desperately need you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.